Amen. Welcome, everybody. Hello. Can everybody just uh, give Nate and the band a round of applause? I love, I love Nate Ray because Nate Ray has more energy in his pinky finger than all of Missio combined. <laughs> I don't know if you watched him and then watched yourselves. Stark dichotomy. And now that I'm done insulting you, welcome to Easter. It's great to have you. Uh, my name is Johnny Morris. I'm one of the pastors here. If you're new, it is so good to have you. As Nate said, if you are new, we'd love to get to know you, to connect with you. One moment to do that is going to be at the party that follows this service just next door, which Heather will tell you about. But another way to connect with us would be just to walk right back there outside the room, not yet, later, to the welcome booth, and there'll be somebody there who wants to get you connected to things that are happening at Missio. So they'll tell you about house churches, they'll tell you about our ministries that we're running, they'll tell you our story, our kind of like our narrative, they'll get you connected to things that are going on in the community. So if you'd like that, we'd like that, go back there, hang out with them. They may bribe you, which I don't think Scripture says anything against. Bribing people to go to church. Not true. Not, well, what do I know? Not Just true. a pastor. As Johnny said, there's also going to be a party, and we thought we would have the party in the car park, but we imagined rain. But what we imagined is not materializing. Um, <laughs> But we still want to have a beautiful party, and Jordan and Adrian Fry have put together... No joke. It's really stunning. Like, the work that they have done leading up to this, and then the work that they've done in the building that's just adjacent to us is very stunning. These beautiful lights, these boards that um, Jordan cut out of wood, and this table that has been set for you so that we can party. There are bounce houses, small humans, so you can be excited about that. Also big humans. Also big humans, <laughs> not just saying. You just have to There'll sign be a waiver. bubbles and face painting, and so please um, don't rush away. Um, just around the corner and to my left um, in the building over there. And there's something very beautiful about it. Before this um, um, building was built or actually refurbished so that we could meet in here as a place of worship, we met for a year in the union building. And so it's kind of a, a beautiful moment for us to kind of go back there and celebrate as it's part of our history and our story. So join us afterwards. Now, when you go over there, you'll notice that it looks like a wedding. And that is intentional, uh, not just because weddings are beautiful and not just because they are uh, fun events for us to go to, but because oftentimes throughout the biblical narrative, the work that Jesus is doing is pictured in the form of a wedding. So Jesus will often talk about the thing he's doing in parables of wedding to say that I am inviting everyone to this feast and it'll be abundant and it'll be beautiful and there is a spot for everyone to come and gather around the table. And he'll talk about the story as a table. He'll have a meal with his disciples around a table. But as we look towards like, what is it that God is doing? Like, what is it that he's accomplishing in totality? There also is a picture of a wedding. And so underneath what we're doing today, underneath the celebration and underneath the beautiful food, is this picture of a wedding. And I want to read to you a moment from Revelations 19, verse 6, which pictures this wedding. So you can look at it in a Bible near you, or you can just read it on the screen. And this is how it goes. It says, Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters, and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder crying out. It said, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Therefore, let us rejoice and exult and give him glory. For what? For the marriage of the Lamb has come. And his bride has made herself ready. 
and it was granted to her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. So all throughout this story, you have a wedding as pictured as the work that's happening, the thing that's being accomplished. The good news of this story is summarized in a wedding. And so that got me thinking, like, well, what makes a wedding party really good? Like, what components are necessary? What features are necessary? What things need to happen in order for a wedding party to be the best wedding party it can be? And this is the same question that my wife and I asked when we got married. And some of you in here were actually there at my wedding. It was a good time. And we put this thought into like, well, what do we do? And so we, we planned the food, and we planned the table settings, and we planned the drink, and we had a DJ, and we're like all of these things like went into planning the wedding, and it was an amazing party. If you were there, then you remember that my father-in-law and I crowd surfed on the dance floor. That's true. That's a true story. That's what happened at my wedding. And so the party was good. But was it the party or the dancing or the DJing or the music or the drinking or the food? Was it those things that made the party significant? They're important components, but for a party to be really good, there has to be a good story behind it. Mm-hmm. Right? In like a good wedding, there is a story that, that moves us to that moment. There is conflict and resolution. There is a history of developing relationship. There's meeting friends and having your parents vet your significant other. There's loss and victory and hope and beauty and a growing love. There is a story underneath any good party. And there's a story underneath the party that we're throwing today. And it's a significant story. And as we declare Easter, it's important for us to celebrate, but it's also vital for us to capture what it is that that is behind the party, behind the food, behind the beautiful table settings that Jordan has put out for us. And it's the story of Jesus. And Jesus, when he first shows up on the occasion where he is making himself known, his first moment is actually at a marriage supper. And in that moment, he turns water into wine. And there's this picture of him being a God who one who is good and abundant and celebratory. And that's how he begins what it means for him to walk this journey on earth. And his final moment, his first moment is at this wedding celebration, this wedding meal. And then his final moment with the disciples is what Sandy just read. She didn't write it. She read it. (laughs) Because that would be weird. Um, (laughs) She just read it from the Gospel of John. And it was this moment where um, Jesus, after his resurrection, he made breakfast. He made breakfast of fish and bread over an open fire on a beach in Galilee, and he invited his friends to join him. He gave them bread and he gave them fish. It was over a meal that he encountered them after his resurrection. But the most significant meal that he ever shared was one that he had in an upper room. It was an intimate moment where he gathered with some friends. And it was a moment where they remembered that God sees the hurting and the vulnerable. And he notices the plight of humanity when we're left to ourselves that we tend to hurt one another. 
that we create power structures that harm and that are self-serving rather than self-giving. And in those moments, we get to this place where we experience sorrow and dissonance and distance and abandonment. And as our hearts cry out to the living God, He responds. And that's what they were doing in that upper room. They were celebrating what's known as Passover. And this moment in the Jewish history that they were calling back to and remembering, it's that God acts to rescue humanity in our plight. And so Jesus was there with his disciples at that meal, remembering that story. And if you don't know, um, the 19th of April until the 20th is actually Passover. And so some of you maybe had a Passover meal or were invited to a Seder dinner this week, and I was myself. So I went along to my friend's house. They'd set the table. Um, the woman of the she lit the candle, and we began um, this moment of remembering this story that is true in Jewish history. The music was playing. They had this playlist, and then we were laughing and enjoying one another's company. And and one of the friends who was around the table, she works with a local nonprofit, and um, she serves refugees, the refugees of our community here in Salt Lake City. And so at one point she pulled out her phone and she was showing us pictures of different people that she's able to encounter on a daily basis. And it was these college age or kind of youth that she's been working with and there's a company locally that has decided to sponsor them so that they can go on to get their college education. And so there's this complexity in the story that she's telling because of what these kids have come from, war and vulnerability, things that they haven't asked, but things that they've lived through and they find themselves here. And now what my friend likes to do is tell these stories with hope. That there is something new that is happening, that it's restorative. And so she was telling us that story over Passover. And it's the same story that Passover is telling, this story of hope. And that historical story isn't too dissimilar from this one that these refugee families are living in. And so in my mind, I was imagining like Jesus sitting there with his disciples and during the meal, he interrupts this routine moment and he catches eyes with his friends. And he lifts up the cup that is full of wine and he holds in his hand broken bread and he says, I am going to do something new. I see you. I see the fragility of humanity. And he declared his deep intention in that moment to rescue and to restore and to make new. And he did so when he got up from that meal and he walked to the cross and his own crucifixion and then declared his power over death and all that is dark and broken about us as humanity through his resurrection. But before he left that table, he said to his disciples, he said, continue to do this in remembrance of me. Don't stop doing this. Share this meal with one another until I come. And I think it's in order to remember him, but I think more importantly... He said that so the story of who he is would continue to be told. 
Not everyone can remember thoughts. Not everyone can remember ideas. Not everyone can remember words. But everyone can eat a piece of bread and can taste juice or wine on their lips and understand a simple statement. My body, broken for you. My blood, poured out for you. In the act of Christ's dying and raising, he speaks. Not only in his words, but also with his actions. And what he is saying is there is nothing that you'll do and nothing that you have done that has the capacity to separate you from my love. There's nothing personally or as a society that is darker or stronger or more powerful than his love or his ability to conquer it through this declaration of resurrection. His death proves his love and his resurrection reveals his power. And that's what Easter represents. And you'll come to this table in a minute and we do what Christ commands us to do. We take and we eat in remembrance of what he has offered us, grace and forgiveness and generosity and abundance. And it's extended to each one of us. We remember and we receive and we share Christ by eating bread and tasting wine. Christ, who through his death declares his steadfast love. Christ, who through his resurrection declares his power over darkness, even darkness unto death. Christ, who asks us to take and eat as an act of trust in remembrance of what he's done and what he continues to do. And he said, as he sat around that table, he said to those friends, he said, do this until I come. There was another moment where he talked about another table that he was preparing. The people would come from north and south and east and west and would celebrate around a table in the kingdom of God because as if what he'd already done wasn't enough, there was more. So the story of the wedding party is good. It's a story of hope, it's a story of rescue, it's a story of restoration, it is a story of redemption, it is a story that marks us and names us in love. It is a good story. And so the first ingredient for a good party is laid, a good story full of good history. But the second thing that you always have to have at a party is people. If it's just you and someone else, it's not a party. That's just weird. It's just Tuesday. Right? You have to have people at your party. And so Jesus is doing this work to get as many people to come to his party as possible, to lay as many spots at the table as possible, to invite as many people to have a moment with him around his table in his work as possible. In the text that we read at the beginning from Revelation, it uses this language to say how God is doing that. It says that we have been provided with fine linen, bright and pure, The Bible will often use that kind of language, clothing language, as a description or a metaphor for this new life that we're putting on in Jesus. 
And so you'll read this metaphor of put on a new life of wholeness like new clothes or put on a life of healing like new clothes or put on a new identity as new clothes or put on a life of freedom as new clothes or put on Christ. Hmm. Right? It's this notion or this idea that we have this old garment and it's this old identity or this old notion of ourselves or this old story that we told of ourselves and the work that God is doing is to rescue us from those old identities and those old markers and to say no no there's a new story for you to be known by a new clothing for you to wear a new notion of wholeness or freedom or identity in Jesus that you are invited to put on we tell that story every single time we gather around the baptismal it's really a symbol to say that we have died to our own life and we have been raised to a new life or we have taken off our old clothes and put on our new pair of clothes that we have died to an old kingdom and entered into a new kingdom. And now we wear this new outfit that God has provided so that we might come into the wedding. And what that means is that God has done everything necessary for this party to be a reality. Right? He's laid the table. He's provided a space for us. He sent the invites, and he's given us new clothes to come in, new identities, new names marked and defined by love to come to the table with. And so that leads to just an interesting question, which is, well, then when and where is this party? I'd like to go. (laughs) Me too. Right? When is this party? Let's go. Uh, Where is it? You know, is it now or is it later? And to that question, Jesus would say, yes. It is both now and later. It is already and not yet. Right? As Heather ended her like moment with, she said that there is this table that is being laid, the table that's pictured in Revelation, a moment where we, a place for us to hope in and to put our our imagination towards is that God is doing a work in this world to rescue, to unite, to reconcile. And that moment will be celebrated with the ultimate wedding party, and we gather at this table, and when we go over next door to celebrate around that moment, we're pointing towards that that picture and saying, like, we hope in this. We long for this reality, this restoration of all things. But we do not idly wait for the party that is to come. Kind of like just waiting for an invite or just hanging out in our homes. We do not idly wait for the celebration to begin. Instead, Jesus has invited us here and now, to begin the celebration. Jesus has invited us here and now to begin pointing towards the party that is to come by beginning a party here and now. God's work may not be finished, but it is started. And that started work, it changes everything for us. Everything gets reshaped in our own lives by the invitation to the party. Everything in our lives gets reshaped by the recognition that God is doing something in the world. Everything gets reshaped by the resurrection of Jesus. We now live out of that reality. And there's nothing in our lives that is untouched by that. Our neighborhoods, our families, the way we think about finances and money, the way that we think about trust, the way that we think about wounds, the way that we think about the church, the way that we think about our role in the world, all of those things are reshaped by this resurrection party reality, right? What would it look like to to engage in our neighborhoods out of the abundance of Jesus's table, to know that he has welcomed us all around his table, that he has laid it opulently, that there is no need or worry that we do not operate out of scarcity or fear, but generosity and trust? What would it look like for us to be reshaped 
by a narrative of love and welcome as opposed to fear and shame? What would it look like for us to be a people of the resurrection? The party is not just something we wait for. It is something we are invited to live into here and now, something we are invited to witness to. When Jesus is about to ascend into heaven after the resurrection, he calls his disciples and he says, hey, I'm going to make you witnesses and I'm going to send you into all the world to do what? Oh, to tell a story about this thing I'm doing, to witness to that good news by performing it, by practicing it, by proclaiming it, that we would gather all around and begin to party. And in partying, we would show the world what God is doing. In celebrating, we would begin to make that party real. Because, Missio, the reality is, is that we are the people of the resurrection. As we entrust ourselves into the good news of who Jesus is, he alivens us, as Johnny said, to be witnesses, to be pointing to who he is consistently in how we live our lives. And so redemption and rescue and making new is not simply something that God does. It is something that God is doing. And it's not only for us, but it is also through us. He is enlisting us to get in on the action. Get in on the action. That's what he says. That's what he does. It's how he invites. You can get in on this. Be alive. Be free. Be forgiven. Be whole. Be known. Belong. So the power of his spirit attests to us as we entrust ourselves to the person of Jesus. And everybody is invited into that, into the good news of grace and this epic party that we get to be about now. And so as we eat this meal in just a couple seconds, what you do is you come to this table and as you put that bread in your mouth, as you dip it into the juice, there's a declaration that you trust. You're trusting yourself to Jesus that he can clothe you with those new clothes like Johnny talked about. That you come here in gratitude, thankful that his extension towards you is one of grace and of mercy and of love. And you come here and as you put that in your mouth, you declare you're depending. That you are depending on Jesus to enliven you to be able to live into this story now. And so whether you come here and you do this for the first time, it's your first moment that you want to say, okay, Jesus, I'll say yes to you. You can do that today. Depend upon him, trust in him. If you've been doing it for our whole nine-year story, nothing changes. You still trust him. You still depend upon him. You still express your gratitude at this table. And then we go and celebrate when we go and celebrate, what we do is we show the hope and abundance of God. That we're invited into this thing that isn't small or insignificant, but that is full of beauty and full of glory and full of goodness. So as you respond today, come, do this in remembrance of Christ, whose body was broken and blood was shed, in order that you might be free and forgiven. And then, come and party! get our epic party on because why because this is worth celebrating and as we celebrate we point to a God who is full of abundance and joy and welcome and we tell that story and so it becomes an invitation that we would continue to tell that story as we venture out in our different places in Salt Lake
So let's put our trust, let's put our gratitude, and let's give our dependence to Jesus, the one who loves us, the one who knows us, and the one who has us for always. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you that you are faithful, that you will never stop being faithful to us, humanity, that there's nothing that we can do, nothing that we have done that will stop you from running after us in grace, declaring over us that we are loved, we are the beloved, and that you call us into a life that lives depending and trusting and obedient to you. And so I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would enliven us to be continuing to get in on the work that you are doing and that you will continue to do. And Lord, as um, everyone in here kind of shuffles their way over to a party that we're talking about but they can't see, I pray that we would always shuffle our way towards the party that you told us is true and that we can't yet see, but one day will be actualized. So we count on you, we trust in you, and we declare our love for you this morning. Jesus, amen.